Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Recovery Talk. So first of all, I have two very exciting announcements. And the first announcement uh, you will hear next week. I know, I know, a pre-announcement announcement is just super unnecessary, but it's just something I'm really excited to tell you guys, but I can't announce it just yet. So next week, exciting announcement ahead. But the other announcement I can let you guys know now, and that is that, okay, so some of you may know that I have been part of a amazing book called Eating Disorders Don't Discriminate. The book is by the wonderful Dr. Chucks. If you don't follow him already on Instagram, his Instagram handle is at Instagram. It is Dr. Chucks underline. So definitely check him out. And now you are finally able to pre-order the book if you're interested. So you can pre-order it at the Jessica Kingsley website, uh, jkp.com. And you can get 15% off if you're interested, if you use the discount code HOPE15. You will probably hear more about that book in future episodes. It is not out until February, but you can already pre-order, which is pretty cool. So yeah, very exciting stuff. Anyways, guys, today I wanted to discuss something that may seem quite niche, but it is a very common experience. And that is filling up on vegetables when you have an eating disorder, when you are in recovery from an eating disorder. Some may wonder like, okay, you're going to make a whole podcast episode on filling up on vegetables. And the answer is yes, because as someone who works with people with eating disorder, and especially someone who works with more identifying the more like sneaky behaviors that sometimes flies under the radar. This is a behavior that I see over and over and over. So one thing that I tend to see when working with people with eating disorders is that when it comes to nutrition, they tend to have a few concerns and they tend to be the same concerns. And that is, first of all, concerned about not getting enough fruit and vegetables. That's one thing, not getting enough fiber and not getting enough protein, right? So here's what I actually see. Most of the time, these are the things that they get more than enough of, whilst it is some other things that probably is more what they should actually focus on increasing, right? So for example, I work with someone and they know they need to increase their calorie intake and then they're immediately like, okay, I'll add in more vegetables, more fruit, I'll add in more beans or meat or whatsoever for protein, right? And it's like, these are the things that often are the safest things for them to add in, that feels the safest. And I will discuss a bit more about protein, fats, carbohydrates in future episodes. I actually would quite like to make an episode on each each of those. But in this episode, we're going to talk about vegetables and filling up on vegetables and also a bit about the concern of entering recovery and no longer craving vegetables. So when I was in recovery myself 10 years ago, there was one thing, I can't remember exactly who said it or where I read it, if it was a treatment professional or if it was someone around me who said it, I can't quite remember. But what they told me is that when you are in recovery from an eating disorder and try and think of vegetables as decoration on the side, right? Don't think of it as the full meal. Think of it as something that you put on the side. The bulk of the meal should be things that actually give you some energy, right? So think about things like pasta, rice, potatoes, cheese, meat, sauce, etc., etc. 
vegetables are good and great, right? But the mistake that I often see people with eating disorders make is that they make vegetables like half of their dinner, sometimes even more. And part of the reason why they do that is very often kind of rooted in the eating disorder. And we'll get a bit more into that. So yes, of course, we all need some fiber. We all need some vitamins, right? But a lot of times people with eating disorders, they tend to overestimate the amount they need of vegetables or the amount they need of fiber in general and underestimate the amount they need of things like fats or carbohydrates or just calories in general. I do understand there are exceptions. I would say that one exception may be seen in some cases of ARFID or avoidant restrictive food intake disorder. Some people with ARFID may have a very, very narrow set of foods that they are eating quite exclusively, right? So for example, someone may only eat very, very like bland foods and they may have a complete aversion to vegetables, right? That is one thing, but in most cases, people with eating disorders, they tend to have more like vegetables as a safe food that they're already getting quite a bit of. So eating too little fiber for someone in recovery, I'm not saying that it never happens, but I'm saying overall, people tend to get quite a bit of that. And actually, a lot of times, sometimes they get probably a lot more than what is necessary to the point where it's so much fiber that it actually ends up harming the digestion rather than helping it. And where changing for the lower fiber option would have benefits. So fiber, yes, it's good for our digestion, but there is a bit of a but here, right? So when you have an eating disorder, if you're coming from a the, the side of a restrictive eating disorder, so you are in an energetic deficit or have been in an energetic deficit, what happens is that your digestive system will slow down, right? Pretty much everything will slow down in your body. That's why you may feel quite like, for example, feel quite cold. You may notice that your hair starts falling out, thinning. You may notice your skin dries, dry nails. Uh, you may notice if you're someone assigned female at birth who normally menstruates, sometimes periods may be absent or might be irregular. If you're assigned male at birth, you may notice issues with, you know, um, erectile dysfunction. People from either sexes may notice, you know, lack of libido. A lot of these just classical starvation symptoms. And one of those also is that the digestive system slows down. So I've discussed this more in previous episodes and I will probably discuss it more in future episodes as well because this is a big issue for a lot of people with eating disorders. But essentially what happens is your body is seeing, oh, there's not a lot of energy coming in here, right? So the body can't afford keeping your digestive system completely up and running and going. And what is the traditional advice you hear about how to, for example, beat constipation, right? It is add in more fiber, drink more water. But here's the thing, if your digestion is slow due to a lack of energy coming in, then adding in low energy foods, such as adding in more broccoli and drinking more water, it's not really going to help because you're not tackling the root issue, which is a energetic deficit. Instead, what is very important is you need to focus on increasing the energy intake. Increasing your energy intake with vegetables I mean, it's, it's, it's not really going to work. You're going to have to eat so much that you're going to be in physical pain. And it's going to be a lot for your body to work on having to digest like two kilos of broccoli, right? It's not really going to, it's not really going to do it, right? Also, fiber takes more work for the body to digest, right? And having things that are lower in fiber is kind of quicker and easier for your body to digest. 
I've seen this a lot when working with clients, typically who may be, for example, constipated, right? When they are increasing their intakes of foods that are lower in fiber, right? So for example, swapping from whole grain bread to the white bread, swapping from brown rice to white rice, swapping from whole grain pasta to regular pasta, they actually experience an improvement in their digestion. They notice that they feel less bloated, right? Because the thing is that when you are consuming excessive amounts of fiber, it, again, like I said, takes work for the body to digest it. And it makes the body kind of, it makes the kind of stomach will need to hold on to more water to digest the fiber as well, right? And it also takes up more space. So you have high volumes of food, but it's not necessarily high amounts of energy. So overall, it just kind of ends up making things worse, right? And it's just so important that when you're reading all of this advice on how to, you know, improve constipation, etc., etc., remember that these same things may not apply to people with eating disorders or working on the place where there is an energy suppressed system. This goes with so much health advice. So much health advice just doesn't apply if the underlying root issue is an eating disorder. This is why it's so important to for advice to be more individualized rather than extremely generalized to a wider population because there are so many individual differences. Yes, there are people who are constipated because they're not getting enough fiber, but if you're someone who's excessively consuming vegetables and drinking liters upon liters upon liters of water, then increasing those things are probably not going to help. If anything, decreasing and instead, you know, focusing more on instead of chugging down liters and liters of water, focusing on drinking milkshakes and juices and something with energy. And instead of eating tons of vegetables, maybe instead have pasta, have more rice, right? Have more white grains. It can actually make a better effect, have a better effect on your digestive system. And I know it can seem so paradoxical. And I know that the eating disorder will very often latch onto the idea of this is good for digestive health, this is not. But again, if you're already doing those things and it's just making everything worse, then you kind of <laughs> have to accept that maybe this doesn't work for you. So when it comes to excessive vegetable consumption, a very common thing that is at play that is often kind of glossed over a bit is that it is about getting as much food for the calories as possible. So when someone may be in the depths of an eating disorder, it's kind of understandable with this mindset, right? Because it's that whole thing of, you know, we, we are on a budget, so we need to get as much as we can, right? And you think, oh, well, I can choose between eating like this smaller amount of something very energy dense versus high volume meal, right? And the high volume meal is going to fill me up more, take longer to eat, etc., etc. But here's the thing, right? Do you really feel satisfied? Like, do seriously, do you really feel satisfied? You may feel physically full, like your stomach is stretched, but genuine fullness is very different from just a stretched stomach. You are going to feel a very different kind of fullness if you had a large bowl of a creamy pasta dish versus a large bowl of, like, boiled vegetables, right? Same way, you're gonna feel a different kind of fullness if you had half a liter of creamy milkshake versus half a liter of water. Your body is not stupid. Your body can't be tricked, right? This is one of the most silly lies. Okay, so many silly lies, but one of the most silly lies diet culture has told us that we can somehow hack our bodies and trick them into being satisfied with lower amounts 
Because, yeah, it might feel like that's what you're doing in the moment. You may feel, okay, yeah, I successfully stretched out my stomach by filling up on vegetables. But are you genuinely satisfied? Because the people that I work with that have these behaviors, they will say, well, I think about food all the time. I fantasize about food. I'm just thinking, when is my next meal? Is food, 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 right? So you still have that strong hunger. It's just manifesting in a bit of a different way, right? And there is a bit of a self-fulfilling cycle here, right? A vicious cycle, you could say. So someone is going through an eating disorder or even in recovery, this can happen. They are filling up on vegetables and then they notice that they may feel physically full, but they don't feel satisfied. They're still thinking about food and kind of almost like when they're eating, they don't want the meal to end. And then this reinforces the idea that they have to eat this way because they're somehow impossible to satisfy. Like they're thinking, my hunger cues are broken. I never feel full anyways. So I need to fill up on vegetables, right? Instead, of course, the better strategy would be to be like, hey, the way I'm eating is not really satisfying me. So maybe I should take that as a sign to eat a bit differently, to instead eat things that are higher in fats, higher in carbohydrates, higher in energy. So can you see how the vicious cycle then happens, right? You are filling up on low energy foods. So for example, vegetables. As a result, you may feel full, but not full. You're then interpreting that as you are fundamentally like a bottomless pit or greedy or, and then taking this as evidence as you actually have to be careful when you're eating. You can't eat the energy dense foods because you can't control yourself around them, right? So then it becomes this like, almost like this, it reinforces itself. And when working with clients, this is like one of their biggest aha moments when they realize that, oh, actually eating more energy dense foods, eating more fats, more carbohydrates, it satisfies me in a different way. And then it's like, oh, okay. So again, don't confuse a stretched stomach with fullness, right? And don't get me wrong, that can also be part of it, right? You know, sometimes if I have a nice big meal, I'll feel that physical fullness and that'll be part of it. But it's just one small part. There's a difference here, right? Because if it was that simple, we could just drink water and be full, right? It doesn't really work. It may feel like you trick something in the moment, but over time, that food obsession, that hunger is just going to be there constantly. And when it comes to eating disorder recovery, one of the most important things to do, I mean, there are a million important things to do, but one very important thing to do is stop being at war with your hunger and stop trying to trick your hunger in terms of you know, feeling like your hunger is some kind of scary monster that you need to suppress or something that you need to hack somehow, right? Because this is just going to create more issues. So yeah, I believe this thing of filling up to get more out of the food, to get more, you know, more volume um, is very, very common factors alongside what I said with, you know, this I might mention it a bit, um, this concern that eating any other way is somehow unhealthy, right? That, oh yeah, but vegetables are good for you. Therefore, it must be like half of my dinner portion. Like, come on. It is also completely okay to have a dinner that's literally a bowl of pasta, right? So a lot of times when we see people in eating disorder recovery, they get some nutritional guidelines. Maybe they find some online or maybe they have a well-intentioned dietitian that will give them some kind of guideline like, okay, your dinner plate should be one quarter this, half this, quarter that, right? And don't get me wrong, I think when someone comes from the state of being extremely restrictive, maybe they are used to feeling like three quarters of their plate with vegetables and using no sauce, no carbohydrates. I do understand that getting some rough idea that, hey, actually, 
need to fill, you need to use some carbohydrates, some sauce, some, you know, I, I think it can have some useful effect for some people, but I think for a lot of people, what they hear is this is how I have to have my plate, how I have to structure every meal or I'm doing something wrong, I'm eating the wrong way. And this can mean that someone may be terrified of dinners that, for example, don't contain any vegetables. And then they remember, but my dietitian said that vegetables should be maybe one quarter of my plate or whatever the dietitian said. And then they need to have every meal that way. And what is essentially was just intended as a guideline to make sure that you're not filling up half your plate or three quarters of your plate, which is vegetables when you are in recovery from an eating disorder, instead becomes a rule that you can't break. And then things like going out having pizza or having lasagna or any other meal that's not necessarily like vegetable based becomes difficult. Or you may be that person when you're ordering pizza, you're like, oh yeah, can I get a salad as well? And then I remove some of the pizza so there'll be salad there so it's perfectly structured. That is not really being recovered. So I just want to remind you that, like I said, it's okay to have a bowl of pasta. It's okay to literally just have some cup noodles, right? Not everything needs to have like this amount of protein and needs to have this amount of vegetables. It is okay to change it up a bit, right? And your hunger will regulate. If you were to just live on pot noodles, you would eventually be like, hmm, kind of craving something like meaty right now, or hmm, I'm kind of craving something fresh, or I'm kind of craving something creamy. Like you would crave different things, but that will only happen as you actually allow yourself to have those things, right? And when you are restricting yourself, of course, then what's going to happen is that the things that you're restricting are going to be the most exciting. And as a result, you may, for example, have your dinner and you find that the vegetables is just, oh, it's not really that exciting. It's just the sauce that you've been normally restricting yourself from or the potatoes that you usually would have eaten broccoli instead, right? that becomes the most exciting part. And this can also, for some people, reinforce the idea that they always must control themselves a bit around those foods. But again, it's restriction that creates that. I think I may have mentioned this in a recent episode, or maybe I'm making it up, but so I had a similar experience just a bit of the other way around when I recently had my wisdom teeth out and I couldn't eat any crunchy foods and I just had to eat soft foods. I was literally living off of like mashed potatoes, chocolate pudding, etc., etc. And by the end of that healing time, when I could kind of finally start going back to eating a bit more like crunchy foods, I was so excited to have a raw carrot, right? Because I had not been able to have those foods. I was really craving just a fresh raw carrot. But trust me, when I was in eating disorder recovery and the raw carrots was like a thing that was more like a safe food, all I could think about was the mashed potato or chocolate pudding. These kind of foods would have been like up there on a pedestal. So it's the things that you're restricting yourself from that would become most exciting. It is also, that's the thing, like your body will tell you what it needs, right? So in my case, my body was like, hey, a carrot could be good now, right? And this is the thing, right? When you are in recovery from an eating disorder, the priority has to be correcting that energetic deficit and it's very natural then that your body would kind of want foods that are more like energy dense and easy to eat easy to kind of can eat quite a bit of it that is natural that that's what your body's going to crave and then eventually you may notice that your body starts craving more different things you can't expect if you're someone who is quite undernourished can't expect to just only crave vegetables and if you are i would probably question a bit if this is your eating disorder 
kind of telling you, oh, this is what I like, this is what I crave. And I know this can be a tricky one because a lot of people with eating disorders, they will eat a lot of vegetables and then they almost got a bit used to eating that way. And then they will think, oh, I'm someone who loves vegetables, so I should never challenge this, right? It's just a preference. And don't get me wrong, it's fine to have preferences. Some people are more into vegetables than others, that's fine. But I would also say if challenging those preferences gives you anxiety, that suggests that, hey, there is something here we should push on. An example that I sometimes use is that I don't like olives. I just don't think they're good. I really wish I did because I think eating them looks so cool, you know, when you're just having like olives and yeah, it's, it looks looks like good vibes, but I just don't like them. But the thought of challenging myself to have some olives doesn't scare me. It's not like challenge wouldn't even be the right word. But if I were to eat olives, it wouldn't scare me. Several times I've been like, maybe I will like olives now. And I've tried some. It's never been something that gives me anxiety or stress. It's just like, I don't like it, right? So be a bit mindful if there is anxiety and resistance towards having something different. It's a bit of a red flag, right? And you may find that as you are allowing yourself more different foods, you realize that, okay, this is an eating disorder preference. This is a meat preference, right? You may find that, "Mm, yeah, I might be someone who is enjoying vegetables, but I also really like, you know, having some pasta and rice, right? So you find your preferences a bit through actually allowing things. Because of course, what tends to happen sometimes is that you have a few set of safe foods and kind of get used to those safe foods and you associate them with like less stress levels. So you may find that you naturally gravitate more towards them. And also when it comes to vegetables, right? Be mindful if you, this is a red flag, if you're the way that you prepare vegetables are in like the lowest energy way possible. So if you're someone who's like, you generally just love vegetables, Yeah, but try and prepare them, maybe use more oil and butter and creamy sauces. So instead of just having some plain, I don't know, cauliflower, have like cauliflower cheese, right? Make it a bit different and seeing if there is a way to actually make those foods more challenging. If you feel a lot of resistance towards that, again, area to to challenge, right? So yeah, overall, when it comes to cravings, it is a bit that the thing that you are banning yourself from becomes more enticing. Equally, there's that it can really go both ways because also sometimes the thing you ban yourself from may be the thing that you're convincing yourself you don't like and instead you like sticking to your safe foods. And also habit can play a role here. So you may just have a habit of you eating kind of the same dinner and it contains lots of vegetables and you just don't really think about it or you're using like canned tomatoes instead of a creamy sauce right and you just think you don't even really think about it it becomes so automatic but the thing is that recovery is about interrupting your habits and figuring out what is you and what is eating disorder this is what i see so often when work with clients is how much time they spend on autopilot not realizing even like hey that maybe was disorder behavior and that's the type of behavior that kind of like the other things i explained a bit earlier, behaviors are slightly a bit under the radar, right? You go to a psychologist, they don't necessarily ask you, how do you prepare your vegetables? How much butter do you use? I mean, some do, <laughs> I would hope, but a lot of times people just think, oh, you're eating. Oh, that's fine. You're good, right? Or, oh, you're eating lots of vegetables. That's great. I should eat more vegetables as well. Ha ha ha. You know, where even the disordered sneaky behaviors get normalized and rationalized, sometimes even be up by treatment professionals. So 
so important to interrupt the autopilot. This is what I work on a lot and my other Let's Recover coaches also work on a lot. Literally going in and digging up <laughs> and really like, okay, we're going to find those sneaky behaviors and we're going to rip them out and rewire them. And that is so powerful because once you've done that, that is how you can actually realize what are your preferences, what are not your preferences. For example, during my eating disorder, and I always feel a bit, you know, a bit conflicted sharing my eating disorder things because I don't want anyone to pick up, but I feel for the sake of this episode, I think it could be maybe an important thing, but do let me know if any of you disagree with this and feel maybe, oh, that was unnecessary. But one of the things that I was very much like, had like as a safe food was uh, mushrooms. And I remember getting like canned mushrooms and just kind of eating them quite plain. And that was very much an eating disorder behavior, right? I still like mushrooms, but what I realized is I like mushrooms when they are fried in lots of oil and ideally like a creamy sauce, then I like mushrooms, right? So can you see how a safe food can be also sometimes be a fear food when it's prepared differently, right? So it's not necessarily that food is exclusively an eating disorder food or that food is exclusively like a recovery food. Sometimes it is the way it's prepared. And this goes a lot with vegetables where there can be certain dishes that may have vegetables in them that are safe foods and some that are fear foods, right? Also something to have a bit of a bit of an insight into. So yeah, cravings, you guys, back to that. I know I keep bouncing a bit back and forth, but you know what? That's usually how I do my podcast episodes. They are unscripted and I tend to record them once I feel like I have something to say. So that's why sometimes it just boom, 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 bounces a bit. But you guys, you guys are listening, so I hope it's not too bad. Anyways, so yeah, when it comes to craving, I also want to talk a bit about not craving vegetables, right? This is a huge cause of stress for a lot of people where they enter recovery and then they notice that their cravings shift, right? So they're allowing themselves more foods and then they're realizing that their usual safe foods that typically, I mean, it could be a lot of things, but let's just use vegetables as an example here for the sake of this episode because of the topic. Um, they notice that they don't crave it anymore, right? They may have noticed, they might have spent a lot of time, but they wake up and they're like, oh yeah, I generally go like, go and wake up and have, have some apple. And now they're like, apples? Oh, I just don't have any interest in them, right? And I just want to let you know that this is completely normal. Don't worry, because this is what happens. People will often experience this and then they panic and they think, oh my goodness, I'm losing my willpower. Recovery is going to make me unhealthy. Oh my goodness. And here's the thing, it's a phase and you're going to have to go through that phase. And when I say it's a phase, I will also say that we all have individual preferences. Some people like vegetables more than others. Like I said, some people might find that it's just not really their favorite thing. I don't, I think that's completely fine as well. We all have different preferences and that is okay. But overall recovery allows you to see what is your preference and what is your eating disorder preference. So you're working with an a body that has been starved, has been in an energetic deficit and have kind of gone into that famine mode. Very, very natural for that body to instead crave foods, like I said, that are a bit higher in energy, a bit kind of easier to digest. So maybe lower fiber, you may find that you gravitate more towards, for example, the white bread than the whole grain bread, because the body just wants quick energy that it can use to repair and to heal. And also what plays in a lot here is not just that more like physical aspects, but also the mental aspects. So if you have been banning yourself from, let's say, pasta, 
course that's going to be an exciting food. I remember this myself, that when I started recovery, the most exciting food for me was not necessarily things like sweets and chocolate, even though that was fun as well. Most exciting food was bread, right? I was obsessed with bread. I could just eat a whole loaf. I was so excited about it because I had restricted myself from that so badly. So naturally, that was what I would crave, right? I wouldn't necessarily be like, oh, I really want a, want a carrot right now. I would be more like, yeah, I really want a bread, just bread with butter, give it to me. And I think the more I had tried, I mean, I didn't do this, but if I had tried to be like, no, 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 oh, step back here, right? You shouldn't do that. That would have just made it worse, right? I would have, the bread would have just been even more exciting then, right? But instead, I allowed myself to have the bread. I allowed myself that this is what I crave. This is something I've been banning myself from, right? And as a result now, as a recovered person, I'll notice that my cravings will vary, right? I will have times where all I want is some fresh bread. And then I have times where I'm like, you know what? An apple seems really tempting right now. And when working with clients, and especially if they're going through extreme hunger and they're kind of allowing themselves to lean into it, doing more of that like all-in approach, which I, by the way, believe can be incredibly powerful. Uh, when they're doing that, a lot of times they will say that I just don't crave any vegetables or any fruits. Oh my goodness, all I crave is just like kind of more like plain, plain foods, just like rice, pasta, sweets, chocolates, not a vegetable in sight. And it's so interesting when I work with them and kind of just tell them like, hey, you know what? What about we just give you unconditional permission to eat whatever you want, whenever you want and see what happens, right? Then what tends to happen is with time, they will be like, oh, I woke up today and I really craved an apple. And I was like, hmm, I haven't had that in a while. And then gradually they notice that their cravings are diversifying. But the more you try and fight it, the more you try and force yourself to eat that those vegetables or fruits that you really don't want, you're just going to start hating it, right? And no, you will not just magically get vitamin C deficient and develop like all sorts of health issues from going through recovery and gravitating more towards like less fruits and vegetables and more to, you know, whatever baked goods you may be obsessed with. It's okay. The body knows what it's doing, right? It's all about reconnecting with your body and having the trust that your body will guide you in the direction you need to go to, right? And this goes with all sorts of food in general, right? When you are allowing yourself all foods without any restrictions, whether it's actual energy restriction or restriction of certain uh, types of food, restriction of times when you can eat those foods, right? Or even just mental restrictions and ideas about, okay, diet starts Monday, right? I'll allow myself this now, but not next week, right? Once you let go of that, things will normalize. And actually, we live in a society that sometimes rationalizes a lot of food restrictions, right? So I would say that coming to a point where your cravings are so in tune and in sync, it actually gives you a very powerful advantage because then you're the one who will stay cool around foods, right? Because you hear a lot of people are like, oh, I can't control myself around crisps, right? But look at their behavior around crisps. That behavior of, you know, trying to restrict themselves from it, it's just going to make it worse, right? I know this is me being a bit of a broken record because food restriction, how food restriction creates binging is literally like one of my, probably like my number one thing that I discuss and what I also did my master thesis on, which by the way, I'll discuss more later. I have, have just been so busy, so much going on. 
but I just believe it is that missing piece of the puzzle that for some reason people just sometimes maybe not maybe choose not to look at I think sometimes we look at solutions where we want to find them we are a little bit biased so if you have an eating disorder your eating disorder is going to do everything to look for a solution that justifies more deprivation more restrictive behaviors right your eating disorder is not really going to like the answer that hey maybe you're not eating enough or maybe you're not eating varied enough maybe you're not eating enough fats maybe you're not eating enough carbohydrates your eating disorder is not going to like that your eating disorder is going to be like no actually sugar is addictive and you're a sugar addict that's why you keep thinking about cake all the time and why you can't control yourself around it and it'll find all sorts of trying to gather all this evidence that this is true even though the science when it comes to so-called food addiction and so-called sugar addiction is pretty clear we see these behaviors these addictive like behaviors when there is deprivation so attempting to solve this without ad addressing that deprivation, it's not really going to work, is it? It will be like taking a sleep deprived person and analyzing, okay, could it be that they're tired because no, 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 finding a million different reasons why they may be tired when they're actually sleep deprived. Wouldn't it be better to just let them sleep, right? It's so simple, yet it is something that gets complicated a lot, even within this treatment system, right? And that can confuse people a lot, right? Because you're experiencing feeling quite hungry and you want to listen to your body, yet you get all of this messaging that, no, 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 we need to hold back, right? So be mindful of what I tend to call the broccoli trap, which sounds a bit silly, but it is basically referring to people who are endlessly filling up on vegetables when they would actually really mentally and physically benefit from something that was a bit more energy dense and actually maybe not that high in fiber. And people who may be experiencing a lot of adverse digestive symptoms from excessively filling up on vegetables and giving what is essentially an energy deprived system a little bit too much to work with, right? Oh, the amount of times where I've heard from people where they have started actually eating more, let's say, white bread, white pasta, more actually, yes, believe it or not, processed foods. God, there's so much fear mongering around that, right? And they have noticed my digestion is better. What on earth is happening? This is what should not happen according to diet culture, but it is what's happening, right? So be a bit mindful when you are reading a lot of dietary advice that be mindful of how that could interfere with your eating disorder. And this will probably be something for a different episode because this episode is getting very long right now because I had a lot to say on this topic, but be mindful of the focus on gut health becoming another eating disorder and the focus on needing to eat the perfect way for your gut, how that can actually become another eating disorder, right? That will be a different future episode, but I think this is something that's very important to talk about because I've seen diet culture, you know, diet culture is always evolving. It was always trying to find a new way to kind of brand itself. We've seen it take over things such as body positivity. We've seen it take over intuitive eating. And now I've seen a lot of things about, oh, optimize your gut health, do X, Y, Z. And it actually, when you really dig into it, you see that it actually is restriction because they are essentially banning certain food groups, certain types of food, certain times of eating food. That is essentially restriction, right? So be a bit mindful of the rebranding of diet culture. And it is a bit like that thing of if it walks like a duck, quacks like a duck. God, I don't know the rest of the expression, but yeah, the point is it's probably duck. <laughs> so if it sounds like diet culture, if it acts like diet culture, but it says it's not diet culture, it's probably diet culture. 
Okay, guys, I hope you have an amazing week ahead and make sure to tune in next week's episode where I will have a bit of an announcement for you guys. So yeah, see you guys then.